And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Jason Kleberg, and you are listening to the Force 5 Podcast, where I force a guest to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we talk about those picks on air. Today, my guest is fellow podcaster and returning guest Josh Hatcher from the JJ Talks Podcast. Last year, we covered top five sports movies, but this time, we're going to be talking top five movies about movies. This was a really fun topic to research. I got some great picks. I know Josh is going to come to the table with some great picks too, so really fun topic. Uh, Before we get to the list though, we got to talk about some of the things that I've seen this past week. So I finally finished up Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Overall, I thought it was a pretty weak entry into the Marvel canon. It suffers from what many of the Marvel movies do, a weak, uninteresting antagonist. The premise seemed like a good one, and I liked seeing the interactions between Falcon and Bucky, and I loved seeing the interactions between the two of them and Baron Zemo, who I loved seeing Daniel Brühl back. He's awesome. Um, And I also like the addition of Wyatt Russell as the U.S. agent, but overall there's nothing really memorable about the season. There were no fight scenes or big battle scenes that knocked my socks off, and I just, I thought it was kind of void of those oh my god moments that you've come to expect from these kind of movies. There's also this extremely boring subplot about Falcon's family boat needing to be mortgaged for some reason. Like, uh, there's a whole 20-minute segment of him and all these friends fixing up this boat. All it made me think of was how terrible of a businessman Falcon must be, because sponsors would be lining up to make this dude a spokesperson for Keds or a pretzel brand or something. Like, oh, get a better agent. Get a U.S. agent. If you're a big Marvel fan... Look, it's an inoffensive show. It's only six episodes long, and it's not completely bad. It's just continuing the journey that you've been on with people like Bucky and the and Falcon. So if you're a huge Marvel fan, you can probably safely watch this, and you'll be entertained for a couple of hours, but I didn't get a whole lot out of it. I also have a pair of Vinegar Syndrome releases that I'm going to review that I wasn't 100% fond of. And I've gotten this question via email and social media a few times now asking if you don't like these kind of movies or you don't like the Vinegar Syndrome movies, why do you watch them? And I wanted to address that real quick because I've got it multiple times. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the boutique Blu-ray labels and they have a subscription package of which I am a member. On average, I'd say I really like about 25% of the Vinegar Syndrome releases. 25% I'm like, I think they're okay. And then half, I just don't like at all. That being said, I think that the work they do is important. They take movies that a lot of people have a lot of passion for, and they give it this royal treatment. Like, if, you, if you're if you a Blu-ray collector, you know about labels like Criterion, and they give these movies that treatment that I think is sometimes even better than what Criterion does. Their customer service has always been very good as well, so that's those are the reasons why I continue to support them. I've also found that it's very easy to break even after selling titles that I didn't like on places like Facebook Marketplace. So if I get a title that I really don't like, somebody's going to want it. It's not like I'm throwing my money away if there's a release that I that I don't want in my collection. So, preamble out of the way. Anybody want to buy a used copy of All-American Murder from 1991? Artie Logan is sent to the All-American School. I'm a new man. You better be, Logan. He meets the all-American girl. Are you sure you're not dangerous? Did you fill me in? Top sorority, honor student, cheerleader. Queen of the hop. Yeah. Bad case of college burnout. Did I rattle you? Oh, no. I love being stalked by Norman Bates. And is accused of the all-American murder. Tell me, dump you. After 23 years of getting shafted, you snapped. I've been grilled by the Jokers. You must be the ace. Meet Artie. Artie likes snakes, fire, and drawing. Someone burned down his dorm room, and it was pinned on him, so he's kicked out of school. Luckily, his powerful father, who's a judge, has given him one more chance and ships him to the prestigious Fairfield Academy, where he sleeps with the dean's wife and meets Tally, the love of his life, all on his first day. Unfortunately for Artie, someone burns the girl of his dreams alive and frames him for the murder 
giving him and Christopher Walken a very limited amount of time to uncover who the real killer is at a school where no one is who they seem to be. All American Murder feels like a little ode to the Italian giallo film. It's got all the stereotypes, inane plot twists, plenty of red herrings, ladies in distress, and a killer pair of black gloves murdering people that you don't actually see attached to a body until the final moments of the film. Alas, not all love letters are good love letters. Now this isn't the bottom rung of Vinegar Syndrome titles. This would go right in that 25% that I'm not crazy about but I didn't hate. And what keeps it a cut above the crap like Rush Week in the cellar is the tot a tot between Artie and Detective Decker. Charlie Schlatter, who plays Artie, who also played uh, Ferris Bueller in the Ferris Bueller TV show, has plenty of charisma, and that was essential to this film because he has to deliver some of the stupidest dialogue I've ever heard on the silver screen. Lines like, you're one sly banana, left me in a state of confusion normally reserved for those 17th century farmers finally learning about Bitcoin. We're led to believe he's some kind of social misfit just because he wears shorts and a beret and sports the Raising Arizona Nick Cage hairdo, but he has the personality that suggests that he'd be one of the more popular class clowns in any late 80s, early 90s teen comedy. He feels way less like a Bender or an Allison Reynolds and more like Ducky. Painting him as some outcast loser just felt unearned. The back and forth between Artie and Christopher Walken's Decker was actually pretty fun considering the words they're saying aren't half as smart and quippy as the screenplay thinks they are. Christopher Walken is just doing Christopher Walken, a fast-talking, edgy cop who doesn't appear to be very good at his job, but everyone in the movie thinks he's some kind of fucking Perry Mason. The first time we get to see Christopher Walken on screen, he's arriving at a hostage negotiation in which a man has a knife to the neck of a pregnant woman, and he goes off script to agitate the man, putting her and her baby's lives in danger. Josie Bissett plays Tally, the woman murdered to kick everything off. She was absolutely wonderful in a small role as the charming and beautiful all-American picture of perfection. The middle of the film is a bit of a snoozer as Artie starts realizing that many people could have been the murderer, who just happens to be two steps ahead with each destination. The police force is zero help and seems to treat the campus as chaos with the same speed and sleuthing skill as the rent-a-cop currently sleeping somewhere in his car in the middle of your closest Dollar Tree shopping center parking lot. The last third of the film is when things ramp up quite a bit. The kills are all pretty lame, save for one poor sap who gets an inexplicably insane death in which the killer enters the room where the man is working out, rigs him up saw-style so he can't free his hands, and drops a grenade into his underwear. Why does the killer have access to a live grenade? We don't know. Why couldn't the killer just strangle him? Again, who knows? It was inventive though, I'll give it that. Oh, and when you find out the reason that the mystery killer is butchering people, it's complete stupidity. But in a movie filled with stupid, you'll already be numbed by dumb once it's revealed. From a filmmaking aspect, there's nothing special in All-American Murder. Scenes are filmed in a very close, claustrophobic fashion, and the editing is a mess, which are both pretty typical of lower-budget straight-to-blockbuster early 90s flicks. This was the directorial debut from Anson Williams, more well-known as Pretty Boy Potsy Weber on Happy Days, and written by Barry Sandler. And you know how I feel about the last name Sandler. All-American Murder has a strong enough lead that it becomes watchable despite how stupid everything is. The dialogue feels like it belongs in a different film, the twists that the movie starts tossing at you nonstop make no sense, and you'll figure out who the killer is in no time. Fortunately, it's just fun enough that it floats a little bit higher than the crap you'll sometimes find at the bottom of your monthly Vinegar Syndrome package. The disc looks great, again cleaned up to perfection by the VS crew scanning and restoring in 2K from the 35mm interpositive. We get a commentary track with The Hysteria Continues, which I have not yet listened to, an interview with Charlie Schlatter called Being on a Team for some reason, because he's really not on a team in the movie, and A Valuable Experience, which is an interview with the cinematographer Jeffrey Schaff. The final thing I saw this week also came from my Vinegar Syndrome box, and my god, this one was a tough one to finish. Let's talk about The Cellar from 1989. My great-grandfather was a very powerful medicine man. He water tractors too? No. He just killed white men. Nice guy. The war council forced him to create a creature that would destroy the white man. He conjured together pieces of the most savage creatures he made. The perfect killing machine. You find any peyote out here, chief? 
It's not going to be too funny when something that is supposed to be dead chases you down and rips you apart. This one's directed by Kevin Tenney, written by some guy who never wrote again but produced four porn movies and stars Patrick Kilpatrick, Chris Miller, Suzanne Savoy, a baby, and an Indian who waters tractors. This movie's about the Cashin family, who buys a house in the middle of nowhere in Texas, not knowing that an Indian put a curse on the place a long time ago that makes snot bubble up out of the ground and created a mutated warthog thing that chills in the cellar. Willie, their young son, who looks like he was yanked directly from the back page of a 1988 Mervyn's catalog, tries to make everyone understand that there's a monster in the house, but by the time they believe him, will it be too late? Can you imagine how boring being stuck in the middle of the Texas desert must be with nothing to do but watch the sand blow around? My guess is that it would be just as entertaining as watching The Cellar. I've been underwhelmed by their releases, but god, this one was absolutely painful to get through. None of the characters are interesting. Patrick Kilpatrick plays Mance, the patriarch of this family who's dealing with the fact that he never sees his kid because he works somewhere drilling for oil or something. He looks like the stunt double for WCW's Psycho Sid, but at least Sid had some skills on the mic. Mance is just plain dull. His wife is essentially useless in the film and is used less as a character and more as a baby-holding mechanism. Willie is your typical annoying gee whiz kid that you'll hate right off the bat because he likes the Houston Astros. And the other side characters that pop in and out are generally forgettable save for Tommy Boatwright, a teen who probably wasn't written as someone that's mentally challenged but certainly acts like it. Luckily, Tommy's not on screen much, but when he is, you'll have to fight the urge to turn your TV off. Speaking of, wait until Mance goes to a general store to buy a literal Ziploc baggie of like 17 bullets and you meet the store clerk who delivers this gem. I bet I know what those are for, I bet I do. What? You're going hunting, right? You're gonna go hunting! That's right, yeah. That was pretty good, huh? It was either that, or you was gonna go kill someone. I just guess. And yes, they're trusting that girl to run a cash register. Now, I'll be completely honest, I was glossing over with boredom about 30 minutes into this pile of shit, so I don't know the rules of this Indian curse, or maybe they just soared right over my head, but I'll give it a shot. Long ago, an Indian put a curse on the land or the house or whatever, and if you take a spear out of the ground, bubbly goo starts to come up. It also comes up in the floorboards in the house once in a while, which is weird because there's a cellar underneath the floorboards, but who cares? There's also this warthog creature in the basement that isn't really effective anyway, but it comes out once in a while. Who knows what it wants aside from a baby? The creature design is fine, but we only see the front half of it because it's clearly a person crawling around in a rubber suit. If you're gearing up with an email response to explain this to me, don't. I just, I don't care how this movie, I don't care about the logistics of this movie. This movie was hot garbage. I saw a lot of excitement online about this one, and I just do not understand it. It's boring, it has very little gore, uninteresting characters, an unremarkable setting, and it just isn't fun. The disc looks good and it has a commentary, but the most interesting feature on the disc is the making of documentary called From Chicken Shit to Chicken Salad. I guess I'm still looking for the salad, because all I saw was shit. The cellar was so boring that the only way I was able to watch the whole thing was by pounding an ice-cold energy drink, and there's really only one choice when it comes to an energy drink that's going to give you the adrenaline you need with the great taste you expect. And that's today's sponsor, Al Pacino's Booty Sweat. It only comes in one flavor, Tropic Thunder, but that's the only flavor you need. When you're fading fast, lean back, open your mouth, and let some booty sweat drip down your throat. You can thank me later. Al Pacino's booty sweat. Popping ass open. Booty sweat and bust a nut bars available at concessions now. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Joining me tonight, we've got a returning guest, Josh Hatcher. What's going on, Josh? Man, it's going fantastic, man. Uh, I'm glad to be back on again. This is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to ever since we, uh, Joan and I first came on. I think it was about probably eight or nine months ago, but yeah, I, yeah. I've enjoyed listening to your stuff, and yeah, I think you put out great content, so I'm, I'm more than happy to come back on and talk movies with you. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, like Josh said, if you go back to, shoot, probably August of last year. It had to be August, year, yeah, something like that. 
Yeah, because the football season was just starting to get into swing, like it was preseason, like heading into preseason. Um, you can hear that with both hosts of JJ Talks, the football podcast, and we talked top five sports movies last time. How's the podcast going? It's going pretty great, actually. We uh we had a great uptick, you know, whenever the season started, but now that now we're in past the Super Bowl and the off season, uh, things have kind of been teetering the other way. But now the draft is coming up, so things are starting to pick back up again um but yeah with our show we're non-stop we post every week no matter what time of the year it is there's, there's always news going on hey we're not talking sports today that was last time <laughs> this time we're talking movies about movies so what's the uh what was the inspiration for this list five top five movies about movies well look uh, just before nfl actually came on to me and now I've been more into sports lately, but growing up, movies have always been just like a big part of myself. And I have one movie in particular that's like one of my all-time favorites. And that's what ultimately decided uh, what I wanted to talk about here. Um, I know initially I'd asked about one before, but I got back a few too late and someone else, I guess, is taking it now. But yeah, I mean, movies, I just, I love talking movies all together. It was my first big, uh, you know, just thing to get into and it's been nonstop ever since. I mean... Time lately hasn't been really allowed for me to actually like take in movies or any kind of content like that. But uh, I mean, here we are now. I love movies, so let's talk movies. Very cool. Uh, did you have any rules to your list? Like, did it have to? Did the plot have to surround that movie, or were there any things that you thought about in that regard? I, I think whenever you br- like bring up like movies about movies, I think it could literally be straight up to documentary or just like a movie just about the filmmaking its purpose or just like even like doing the process of making a movie to me like just movies about movies it's pretty it's pretty niche like in itself and i think any restriction after that it's kind of like uh you know kind of like narrowing your field so i think anything that's just strictly about movies about movies and just going off of that i think anything's good to go cool well i think i got a solid list for you and i left off some like very obvious ones so if we don't uh if we don't cover all the ones, I got a, a healthy list of honorable mentions. And uh, with that, Josh Hatcher, let's get to the list. Do you know what's going to happen? Do you know what's happening to you right now? Do you know what's going to happen? What? You just made the list. Top five. Top five. The top five. All right. Well, first off, my number five is going to be a 2008 movie, and it is Son of Rambo. Good morning, Lee Carter. Ready? Ready? Three, two, one, go! You're right! All right, Lee Carter! Are you that little boy making a film? Mm-hmm. Can we be in it, please? I will be star of your movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember this is one of the first movies that actually came out when I started working at the movie theater. And it wasn't exactly my first one that was like that, my, that got me my free ticket to get in. But I will remember it was like one of the more unforgettable ones. I was just, uh, I got off work early and I just, I was like, you know what? My ride isn't here yet. I got a couple hours I could spare. I'll just go off and watch one of these movies. And that was Son of Rambo. And this movie is actually brought from the the guys who made the Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was supposed to be their first film, but because Hitchhiker came on, they had to postpone it, and it ended up being their second major film. And in this movie, you get a, a young Bill Miner and a young uh, Will Poulter, who's probably, a, this is before he actually got his big leap into stardom. But uh, yeah, this movie is about, a, I would compare this, this is about uh, the Sandlot meets movie making, kind of. Yeah, uh, just because it's a young coming of age story, and you got these two kids. Uh, one is more, and it grows up in like a conservative uh, family in a church, not really allowed to seek any kind of like television or anything like that. And through these things that come together, uh, you have this church guy, this church kid, meeting up with Will Poulter's character, Lee Carter, and he's the worst behaved school uh, kid in the school. He already he gets thrown around for bad behavior. They have an accident where they actually drop a fishbowl in the in the hallway and Lee takes the blame for it. And that's how they end up meeting and they become friends. And Will goes to uh, Lee's house 
and accidentally watches First Blood, the Rambo movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a bootleg when... copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's where the kind of the, the inspiration starts spinning. He sees this movie. Uh, they go out. Lee saves him from a river. That, and then they, they decide to become Blood bro- uh, Brothers. And then they ca- kind of just start remaking scenes from First Blood. And here you have Son of Rambo. Son of Rambo's on my list too. So uh, it was slotted at my number four. So yeah, I'll just piggyback and say uh, this. You said Sandlot meets movie making. Totally agree. I actually wrote down that it feels like a British standby me. The way that they just like, yeah, interact with each other. It feels super genuine. It's a very, very funny movie. It's also super well acted. With films like this, when you have kids, it can fall apart if there's one weak link. And there is no weak link in the cast here. Uh, the guy who you mentioned, Bill Milner, he is great as Will, but Will Poulter as Lee Carter just steals the show as this troublemaking movie maker. And if you're in the movies or had experience making movies with friends when you're younger, this is gonna this is gonna scratch an itch that you didn't even know you had. Oh yeah. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, you know, it's it's not like you had a movie camera in your pocket like kids do these days. Like you had to. You had to put tapes in and <laughs> like you had to edit on the VCR. You didn't have computers to edit on. You had to edit on the VCR. And man, this this just brings me back. It's a it's a great movie about kids, about movie making. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I'll slot that in my number five as well. So we'll go on to your number four. All right. Well, my number four is probably going to be the most popular one here. I mean, there's, I think, three that I have are pretty popular, but it's going to be Singing in the Rain. Hold it, Dexter. Well, Mr. Simpson, we're really rolling. Yeah, well, you can stop rolling at once. Huh? Don, Lena. All right, everybody, save it. Save it. Tell them to go home. We're shutting down for a few weeks. What? Well, don't just stand there. Tell them. Everybody go home until further notice. What is this? Yeah, what's the matter, R.F.? The jazz singer. That's what's the matter, the jazz singer. Oh, my darling little mammy. Now, little mammy. My little mammy. No, no, this is no joke, Cosmo. It's a sensation. The public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures. Talking pictures. Oh, it's just a freak. Yeah, what a freak. We should have such a freak at this studio. I told you talking pictures were a menace, but no one would listen to me. Don, we're going to put our best feet forward. We're going to make the dueling cavalier into a talking picture. Look, this is going to be the one that ends up on top five of everyone's movie-making list. Uh, it was a hallmark just in, you know, Hollywood in general, going from silent films to, to talkies. And, I mean, there's not really much else I can really say about Singing in the Rain. I mean, it's a classic. It still holds up to this day. And I'm just, I just learned this, you know, when I was actually, like, looking up the, the stuff today to talk about. But it's so impactful that it was one of the first 25 films to be selected into the Library of Congress for the National Film Registry. So, I mean... If you've been sleeping under a rock just ever, I think everyone of every age should watch Singing in the Rain. It's good for all ages, and I just, I've never met anyone that hasn't said, wow, I didn't like this movie. Yeah, I agree. I brought it up on my episode where we talked filmmakers that influence today's generation, and Stanley Donnan is one of those people that a lot of people don't think about, but the director of Singing in the Rain, uh, Charade, I mean, he is definitely an influential filmmaker, and Singing in the Rain is like his magnum opus. My number four, 1978 movie called Hooper. Burt Reynolds is Hooper, and Hooper is a real hero. He can take more crashes. Oh, jeez! More fire. Ah. Hello, gorgeous. More love. More hits. He can take more risks and have more fun than anyone can imagine. This is Hooper, the story of the greatest stuntman of them all and his competition. I'm waiting a year and a half to meet you. How's that? I get to perform with Sonny Hooper. Oh, hell, that ain't no big deal. I mean, <laughs> All right, this movie, uh, Hooper, is about Sonny Hooper. He's a stunt coordinator for a fictional film titled The Spy Who Laughed at Danger. And it also stars Adam West playing himself, which is kind of fun, Sally Field playing his girlfriend, who was actually uh, Burt Reynolds' girlfriend in real life at the time, and then Jan Michael Vincent playing his protege named Ski. So it's about this dude, Hooper, and he's been this stuntman for so many years, and it's a taxing work, and Hooper's told by his doctor that one more bad impact could leave him paralyzed from the neck down. And as he learns this news, the director on this film decides that he wants to change the ending of the movie to include a crazy stunt that involves jumping a canyon 
but the only way they can do this canyon jump is is by attaching a rocket to their car. <laughs> it's crazy 70s Burt Reynolds stuff. This came, I think it came right after Smokey and the Bandit, which if I recall, it's like 76, this is 78. But Hooper has something for everyone. It's got a ton of action sequences with car wrecks, and you know 70s car wrecks were just badass. It's got Burt Reynolds in there chewing the scenery, giving the looks, and it all has a pretty sweet emotional core with really good performances from the four main characters. And then it gives us the stunt coordinators their time to shine. And, you know, the stunt people are an integral part of the films that we watch, but they receive little to no credit when it comes to the final product. So I think it's really cool that, that they highlighted the stunt person in this. It's also one of the first films, if not the first, I don't know if it's the first, but one of the first I can remember that featured, like, the bloopers and the outtakes during the credits. So, like... You have the bloopers oh. of the stunts on the left and you have the credits on the right and it shows some of those stunts for the movies. So if you like fast cars, if you like stunts, movies like Smokey and the Bandit or Cannonball Run, go check out Hooper. It's a really enjoyable film uh, that you can pretty much watch with the whole family. Yeah, it's just, it's just a good time from the 70s. Yeah, you had me sold when you said Adam West playing himself. So yeah, immediate <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, Adam West playing Adam West, who is the star of the uh, the fictional film in there, The Spy Who Laughed at Danger, which is just an awesome title for a like a fictional movie too. Do you remember the movie Hot Rod? I love the movie Hot Rod. Dude, yeah, Hot Rod's amazing. Is that like a spoof of this movie? Because that's what it kind of sounds like. It's it's definitely got elements of of uh, Hooper in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love Hot Rod. I've seen that video plenty of times, too. <laughs> Hot Rod, man, I think Hot Rod came up on my uh, on my list of top five movies critics didn't get. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, that's, <laughs> that's, I think that's the most recent one I've uh, I've listened to. I, I, I go back and like I like catalog and like binge, like listen to a bunch of them when I do get free time. And yeah, that was definitely one of the most recent ones. So that's probably why I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right, Josh Hatcher, number three on your list. All right, another popular one. This was going to be the Marky Mark uh, show right here with Boogie Nights. In 1977, a kid from nowhere made me think about your name. My name, yeah. Something a little pizzazz. Dirk Diggler. Good name. I like your name a lot. Had a dream of getting somewhere. Jack Horner has found something special in newcomer Dirk Diggler. So let me just pop in this A-track, and you just give a listen to what you think, okay? It was a time when disco was king. These are the ones. These are great. Yeah, those are really cool. Are they lizard? No, they're Italian. Do you like my shoes? They're pretty cool. Sex was safe. <laughs> Pleasure was a business. Cut. Terrific. Nice work. And business was booming. And the award for best newcomer goes to Mr. Dirk Fiddler. <laughs> This is really the, the one that gave Mark and Marcus rise to fame, at least in, in the film industry, and also Paul Thomas Anderson. And th this movie is just entirely about a rise and fall of Mark Wahlberg's character. He starts out by being a, a sink washer in this nightclub. Uh, he ends up getting popular in these uh, pornographic films. And his story is just like throughout the, the rise of his uh, going through the different sets, uh, just doing uh, pornographic things. And then... You have his downfall. He gets addicted to coke, and it's just the entire movie is just about the whole rise and fall. It's not exactly a happy ending or anything. It's kind of a tragedy in, in that sense. But uh, yeah, this is the movie that launched Mark Wahlberg, um, and really kind of Paul Thomas Anderson himself too. Uh, got a lot of recognition. Got a best original screenplay, and uh, got a more guy. I can't remember her name. Julianne Moore. Yeah. Julianne Moore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic movie. It's probably like the of the five that I've listed or I'm going to list is that it's probably the like least rewatchable. Um, I I, I already rewatch it from time to time, but uh, I have a problem with like it's a length, and that's probably the only issue I really have with this movie. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's a fantastic movie. You should definitely check it out. Uh, it's got Mark and Mar, Julian Moore, Burt Reynolds, Don Cheadle, uh, William H Macy, Heather Graham. Fantastic cast. And I'm going to jump in here, too, because this one's also on my list. This was my number two. <laughs> I'll move it down to my number three here so we can talk about it. Uh, you've kind of said most of the elements here. Burt Reynolds was very like he hated this movie when it came out and he fired his agent over it. And then he went and got a uh, 
supporting actor nod for it with the Academy. Uh, Imagine. <laughs> you know, and you already mentioned the, the amazing cast. This one's not just about making one movie. It's about making, making a bunch of movies because Jack Horner, the uh, porn director, he's trying to class up porn. And we go through the 70s and the 80s watching the switch from film to video. We watch Marky Mark as Dirk Diggler try to make this series of action films, like action porn films. And like you said, we get to see the rise and fall of young Eddie Adams. It's masterfully made. It has one of the best intro shots of any movie ever, where it introduces almost the entire cast in one sweeping shot from the outside of a nightclub into the inside. And I, I disagree with you on the length. I the, Normally, I don't like long movies, but this one does not bother me one bit. Like I just cannot get bored with this because it does feel like a sweeping epic that takes us through the 70s into the 80s. And I never get bored. It also has one of the best soundtracks of all time and one of the only soundtracks that I've ever bought on vinyl. I couldn't, if you asked me to pick a favorite scene, I couldn't pick a favorite scene because there are so many great scenes in Boogie Nights and everybody pulls their weight. One of my top five films of all time and there was no way I could leave it off this list. Yeah, and you know what's the other thing is that uh, this movie really has everything. And of all the things that you have, like elements and genres of uh, movie-wise, one thing I didn't expect going into, because I went into uh, Boogie Nights like the first time when I watched it, you know, completely blind. I just knew it was Marky Mark, uh, and it was about porn, and I wasn't expecting it to actually be as violent as it was. I mean, not that it's a negative or anything, but I mean, like uh, we were talking about drama, comedy, action, you know, all together. Boogie Nights has all of it. Yeah, it does. Um, and there is some, there's some really crazy suspense too. There's like a scene where they're uh, hanging out at the house of Alfred Molina <laughs> as his character. <laughs> And there is some, like, it's really suspenseful and really tense. It's got a really violent scene at a donut shop. There's just, there's so many great elements to Boogie Nights. I, I just can't get enough of it. I love this film so much. All right, my number two. Uh, yeah, now we're getting to my, like, my, my absolute favorite ones. Uh, these these two are the ones that I can, like, just drop anything, rewatch anytime, and, uh, you know, always get something new from it. And my number two is going to be Tropic Thunder. There were times when I was doing Jack, that I actually felt retarded, like really retarded. I mean, I brushed my teeth retarded. I rode the bus retarded. Damn. In a weird way, I had to sort of just free myself up to believe that it was okay to be stupid or dumb. To be a moron. Yeah. To be moronical. Exactly, to be a moron. An imbecile. Yeah. Like the dumbest motherfucker that ever lived. When I was playing the character. When you was a character. Yeah, yeah, I mean, as Jack. Definitely. Yeah. Jack. Stupid ass Jack trying to come back from that. Everybody knows you never go full retard. It's the Ben Stiller directed movie, and this movie gave me like a new appreciation for Ben Stiller. Like, uh, you know, I don't really care. I've never really cared for him as like much as an actor or anything, but like what he did with this movie, uh, just the entire spoofing of all of Hollywood, the types of actors and actresses you get, and just the movie making in general has one of the best cameos from Tom Cruise, uh, just ever, all time, in, in like movie history. Yeah, gave me a new appreciation for for, uh, for Ben Stiller altogether. Just this one movie, and this is really kind of like a, a spoof of a uh, you know kind of like Apocalypse Now. You know, set during the Vietnam War, and you got these uh, Jack Black, Robert Downey Jr. and what I think is his best role in his career, and uh, Brandon T. Jackson. They're they're the main ones in this set uh, going around through this actual you know war battlefield, but they think they're filming a movie, and the only one that knows about it is Ben Stiller because when they get there, the director blows up. You know, it's actually a bomb. <laughs> and he starts playing with his head, you know, looking at his head like, hey, hey, it's like a little slurp. He's like looking like, like like his actual blood. So he keeps the camera rolling. You know, they think they're in a movie except for Ben Stiller. And they go out navigating this uh, drug cartel war ridden land. And it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And that's only like, you know, just uh, the, the tip of the iceberg right there. I've already listed the main cast. You have uh, Tom Cruise's cameo. Matthew McConaughey has a small ro a role. Uh, Bill Hader, Danny McBride, just pretty much anyone in comedy you could think of from that time. It's, it has more likely something to do with this movie. And it was so good. And Robert Downey Jr., one of his best roles, his best. Uh, you hardly ever see the Academy itself uh, uh, recognize comedies just in any sense of the word, whether it be anything technical or anything like really screenwriting. Writing. And acting is probably the hardest one. And Robert Downey Jr. got uh, a nomination for a supporting role and I really think he should have won because I, I can't think of any other uh, like 
supporting roles in that time frame that were like jumping to my mind. Uh, but that's just my personal love for this movie. This is one of the best movies, one of the best comedies I've ever seen, and one of the best movies about making movies. Good pick. I'm glad you put it on the list. I didn't put it on my list in hopes that you would put it on yours. Nice. So I'm glad you came through. They, the fake trailers that start off the movie are some of the funniest things you'll ever see on screen. Good pick. Good pick. Fantastic. Yeah, I could, I could watch this one anytime. All right. My number two. If you Have you seen Mank yet? I have not. But this is the one about Citizen Kane, right? It is. And Mank's not my number two. But if you've seen Mank, then you've seen uh, Gary Oldman playing Herman Mankiewicz. Well, there's already a fantastic actor that's played Herman Mankiewicz, and that's John Malkovich in the 1999 film RKO 281. Who are you, sir? Orson Welles, sir. And you are in California for what reason? To make pictures, I hope. I wish you luck. It's a treacherous business. Orson Welles used all his genius to create Citizen Kane. The story's about a publisher, right? You're not doing Hearst, are you? I'm not doing Hearst. Print. I saw this Orson Welles picture. It's all about you. So our life is the subject for mockery. William Randolph Hearst used his entire empire to try and destroy it. Has he no idea of the power that controls him? He got it, didn't he, Father? I mean, they nailed it. That film will never come out. Hearst will not allow it. We have to talk about this. If we get the press on our side, the he is the press. Miss Parsons, use the file. He got Hollywood. What do you want? If you liked Mank, check out RKO 281. It's a film about the battle over releasing Citizen Kane between Orson Welles and William Randolph Hearst, who was the inspiration for the character of Charles Kane. Orson Welles goes to this dinner party and shows the film. And then the media magnate, who's played by James Cromwell, he's like, I got to stop the release of this movie. And that's what it's about. The title RKO 281 is the production title of Citizen Kane from RKO Pictures, which folded in, I believe, the like the late 50s. The cast is great. Liev Schreiber plays Orson Welles, and he's really good. James Cromwell, like I said, plays Rudolph. John Malkovich is in there. Melanie Griffith, Roy Scheider. And it's written by John Logan, who wrote Gladiator and Hugo and the last two 007 movies, uh, Skyfall and Spectre. It's on the same vein as Mank in that it's not supposed to be like, a factual account, and it posits that Orson Welles wrote Citizen Kane to slight Hearst for insulting him once at a dinner party, but I also don't think that the accuracy of the historical aspects is the focus here. It's also been like really maligned by Orson Welles fanatics because it does kind of portray Orson Welles as an arrogant, like really the villain in the movie, but it's definitely worth checking out if you want more of the Citizen Kane story. Uh, It's just a different perspective. This one uh, originally aired, I believe, on HBO. I don't think it even had a theatrical release, but uh, it's an hour and a half long. So yeah, if you like Mank, check out RKO 281 from 1999. Yeah, I've never heard of it. I'll definitely be checking it out, though. That sounds like my type of movie right there. I mean, I love the whole, like, behind-the-scenes aspects of just about anything, like, aside from movie-wise. But yeah, behind-the-scenes stuff, that's where all the good stuff is. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It's a uh, it's a solid companion piece to Mank. All right, Josh Hatcher from the JJ Talks podcast. What's your number one on movies about movies? All right, Jason, my number one is Ed Wood. Tim Burton, director of Batman, Beetlejuice, and Edward Scissorhands now takes you to a completely different world. The true story of a Hollywood legend, Ed Wood. And action! He made movies like no one else. You want to keep moving? You've got to get through that door. Ah! That was perfect. Perfect? Do you know anything about film production? Well, I'd like to think so. He had an eye for talent. I met Bela Lugosi. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. <laughs> this movie, like, uh, it's one of the first ones that actually like got me into movies altogether. Um, I, I believe this is a, a masterpiece right here. Uh, Ed Wood is about a, a real life director. I believe in the forties and the fifties. Uh, basically, he he just he was the first Tommy Wiseau, I and mean, everyone knows the room. Uh, Ed Wood was Tommy Wiseau before that was actually a thing. And <laughs> if you don't know, Ed Wood uh, 
was it with a band, you know, group of people didn't really make great movies, actually terrible. And later on, they would go on as some of the worst of all time. And then you would have the cult following of, you know, the Planet Nine movie. But it's about this. Uh, it's a biographical comedy drama from Tim Burton. His best movie to, uh, to date and probably going to be ever. Uh, it's got a great cast. Got Johnny Depp as the lead and his best role yet. And you have Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, Jeff Jones, Bill Murray. I mean, it's just fantastic cast, fantastic movie. And kind of like Boogie Nights, I think it's like one of those movies that has absolutely everything. You have the movie making, you have the drama. It's really funny. It's kind of dark in the same sense too. And it's also uh, in the sense of tragedy. It ends on a great note with uh, Edward you know, proposing. But if, if you know the history, you know that that's where the downfall is. And uh, it cuts to a little text on the screen right before credits roll. And it's, oh, hey, here's Ed Wood. And he became an alcoholic and died, you know, soon after. So he doesn't know anything about this movie actually succeeding. And uh, I mean, it kind of hurts to know because that's all he ever wanted. Uh, he was this real upbeat guy. Every time he was told no, he was just like, oh, okay, well, we got one thing to look forward to. Oh, this take went well. And uh, that was pretty much it. You know, for the most of the movie is uh, trying to get Plan 9 from outer space actually made. Uh, you get a bunch of the takes. And if you actually compare the movies, they're shot relatively similarly, actually almost 100% uh, similarly. Um, what you see is it's not kind of like how you were talking about how uh, RKO isn't exactly like historically accurate or that kind of thing. Yeah, there's kind of liberties taken. But uh, you, you get like a, a, you know, a real sense, you know, if you go watch uh, a Nine, then you kind of like have a new appreciation for it. Like, yeah, it's a terrible movie, but it's like one of those you can actually like watch and like have a laugh at because it's that kind of bad. But sure. you know, if you watch Ed Wood and then go back and watch uh, Nine again, then you kind of have a new appreciation for it because you just got this uh, guy Ed Wood who was just trying to achieve you know his ultimate dream. And as someone that is now creating content, I think this kind of stems from anyone outside of just movie making in general. Yes, this is a must for any wannabe film directors or screenwriters, but I feel like if you make any kind of content in any source, whether it be uh, YouTube videos, articles, podcasts, or just any kind of content, I would highly recommend watching Ed Wood because you'll get that sense of, you know, trying to make it in the world and uh, failing and you just keep on going through um, Ed Wood, uh, weird character, but in, in his own heart, he's trying to do well. He's trying to make it, um, and aside from just that story itself, um, it's actually kind of groundbreaking. You know, this is one of the first uh, movies that actually like it's kind of open and accepting about, uh, you know, trans identity because Ed Wood was known for, you know, wearing uh, women's panties. And in, in this one scene in the movie, uh, Ed's going, yeah, you know, I, was, I served in, in the army and uh, I wasn't, you know, afraid about anything other than the medic finding out that I was wearing women's panties and. You know, it's just, it's kind of like a funny moment, but, you know, they don't treat him as, like, this, like, really, really, like, oddball character. They don't, like, really, like, look at him, like, too differently other than that he's a bad movie director. And yeah. it's just really open and accepting of this, you know, even during the time frame of the 50s, of this just extremely, you know, outside of the, the social norm. And I think it's a groundbreaking movie. I think the story, while the story itself about, you know, a character trying to uh, make it in this like world, you know, wherever it is, while that's not exactly, you know, fresh or anything. Uh, I think it's one of the best ever done. I think this is one of the best movies ever made. This is Johnny Depp's best uh, role. This is Tim Burton's best movie. I think there's something for everyone. And yeah, I, I realized I didn't really cover like that much of the story, but you know, I kind of want to leave it to like a little, uh, in case anyone hasn't seen Ed Wood, I highly recommend it. This is one of the best movies I think ever made. Well, I guess I've got some homework because I've never seen Ed Wood. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. You gotta watch. Tell me, tell me if you do watch it though. Yeah, I'll be really curious to see what you think. I will. I'll shoot you a note if I uh, when I when I watch that. Okay, uh, my number one is gonna be probably my most uh, obscure pick. I would say aside from RKO two eighty one, and this is a very personal movie for. I mean, I wouldn't say it's personal to me, but it's it's one that fits right in with what I like. Because I'm a I'm a genre fan. I like the horror movies. I like weird stuff. From 2014, the editor. Well, what about that editor? 
Didn't you tell me all the victims were missing the same fingers he was? Sure, you have wooden fingers, but who doesn't at times? He was an up-and-coming editor before I met him. Before he almost killed his assistant. Ah, the editor's gonna kill me! That was his work print! Interesting how that name keeps coming up. Editor. You're married to Josephine Chardin, aren't you? The star of the Mirror of the Guillotine? Here we go with the film talk again. I really admire his films. I don't want to see you around here anymore. You understand me? You take death with you wherever you go. I saw him. I saw him. The black man. The black man. The editor is an extremely over-the-top parody slash tribute giallo film about an editor. Uh, if you're like a fan of Italian movies and that, that whole genre, like uh, Deep Red or Blood and Black Lace, like this movie is going to be right up your alley. It's about this editor named Ray Sisso. He was once an awesome editor, and then he had an accident that left him with four wooden fingers on one hand, so he can't edit like he used to, and he has had to resort to cutting up really trashy movies and uh, like the bottom of the barrel grindhouse stuff. Unfortunately for him, people at his studio keep turning up dead, and of course Ray is the prime suspect, so he's working to both prove his innocence and he's trying to finish cutting up his film Taran, I think it's called like Tarantula or Tarantola or something like that in, in Italian. This has all the elements that I love in a great Italian giallo film from the beautiful visuals to the unintentional comedy. The language all has the feeling of an Italian to US dub, but it's all done in English, which makes it even funnier. So the characters are just talking really oddly, but it's because <laughs> they're trying to give you that feeling that it's like dubbed. Uh, and if you've ever seen an Italian dubbed movie, you'll get like that aspect of it. It was put out by uh, the Canadian team Astron 6, who recently released the, the movie Psycho Gorman, which I loved. Uh, so if you like the comedy in that kind of movie, you're going to like the comedy here. If you don't like Italian giallo films, this one might not hit for you like it did for me. But man, there's a lot of good stuff here for any fan of slashers or comedies. As long as you know what you're getting into, this one is such a good time. And I remember the first time I saw it was on an airplane. I had downloaded it before I went on this flight, not knowing what it was or what to expect. And I was definitely annoying the people next to me because I was laughing so fucking hard <laughs> on an airplane with headphones on. So you just hear me laughing. I was trying to stifle my laughter, but there's only so much you can do. I love the editor from 2014. That's my number one by far. When you when you brought this list to me, it's like, okay, Boogie Nights has to be on there and the editor has to be on there. What were some of those uh, honorable mentions? Did you have any that didn't make your list, but you wanted to mention? Uh, you know, I actually got two written down. Um, when I went into this, I was kind of thinking like, okay, I'm kind of struggling between two comedies. Um, the first one I can really think of is 22 Jump Street. And while it's not necessarily a movie about making movies, it's a movie about like spoofing, just movie making in general. Um, yeah. Everything down from the script. I mean, you get a, a bunch of like playwright puns and you know, kind of like riddled throughout the film. And it's also just filled with uh, just it takes a really big mock at sequels and sequelitis, whereas the first one was more about uh, buddy cop comedies and spoofing itself, its own series. The second one took a turn into spoofing sequels and just movies in general and you even get it like one of the best parts of the movie is the very end and much oh, like yeah. Tropic thunder where the the opening is you get to see the actors in what like niche and like form that they're in and their trailers you know ben stiller is the action guy jack black is the comedy guy doing the fat fart stuff and that kind of thing where 22 jump street is on the opposite end where it's at the very end of the movie during the credits where they're just going back and forth about these movies. It's like 23 Jump Street, 24 Jump Street. And I believe it goes up to like <laughs> something like where it's like fucking 40 or something like that. And it's just about like spoofing sequels and sequels, you know, just in Hollywood in general. And it's like, here we have a uh, point where it's like they run about ideas. And here's the guys breaking up a drug cartel in like a chef school. And then here they go, they're going figure skating. And then now they're involved in the Russian uh, war now. And it's just, I think it's one of the best uh, like comedies out there. Um, one of the more recent ones. And the other one, I guess I have like a lot of like comedy and like uh Vietnam theme stuff here, but uh, uh Heart of Darkness it's the it's the actual documentary about the making of uh, Apocalypse Now and uh I 
<laughs> I kind of struggle with like what I what I like more. Do I like Apocalypse Now more or Heart of Darkness? Uh, maybe it's just like the the content creator in me that like likes the whole making of thing more. I kind of go back and forth on, but they're they're great, you know, back to back watches themselves, you know, in whatever order you want to watch them in. But yeah, Heart of Darkness is about the the filmmaking of Apocalypse Now, and Apocalypse Now was one of the more uh, mainstream controversial ones because of uh, the the content that's actually in the movie. And those were the two ones that I thought of as far as like my honorable mentions. Nice. I had a couple that I'll just quick hit through. Uh, the Dirties by Evan Morgan is a really disturbing film about two guys who start making a student film and then they end up turning it into something way more sinister. Two about screenwriting that I wish I could have had room for. Adaptation, which is amazing. And yeah, Barton Fink. Yep, Barton Fink by the Coen Brothers. Argo is a great movie about uh, filmmaking that I won't spoil for those who haven't seen Argo, but uh, yeah, there's a filmmaking aspect to that. And then a, a little film that I wish got more attention called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. I love that movie. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so good. And I just, I couldn't, I didn't want to put that on because it wasn't about like a specific movie or the filmmaking process as much as it was other aspects, but goddamn, that's a great movie. Yeah, you know, that, that that was one of the ones where I'll, like, whenever you asked me about whether there's any kind of, like, stipulations or anything, that was the only one where I was kind of like, yeah, the story isn't exactly, like, hinge on, you know, movies or movie making, like, anything like that in general. It's a part of, like, a, a subplot about the two characters, you know, him and Earl, but as far as, like, the main overall story, it's not really about that. Until like a little towards the end, and uh, I'll just do like you just to not spoil it or anything. Is it definitely worthwhile? Uh, indie movie, I think it came out in like 2014 or 2015, somewhere along that time frame, uh, based off a book, and it's great. And I've actually read the book itself, and I think it's better than the book. Nice. I, I've not read the book, but man, I love that film. Josh, thanks for coming on again. What else do you have to plug? Obviously, go check out JJ Talks, get your draft info there, find out how your team's going to do. Uh, what else do you have to plug? Anything else that you want people to see, listen to, check out? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning the draft part. Yeah, we're focusing mainly on the draft right now. We also have started up our new trivia tournament. We're featuring other NFL content creators from articles, YouTube, uh, Twitter, anything you really think of. That's been started up again. Uh, Jonah and I continue putting out new content every Tuesday and Friday. And the night of the first round of the draft, uh, April 29th, we are going to be going live on Twitch at JJ Talks Pod. If you want to find us on Twitch, we'll be going live 30 minutes prior to the draft starting. And then throughout the first round, we'll be giving our predictions for the picks, you know, kind of like final mock draft picks or whatever. And we're going to be keeping a tally with not just Jonah and I, but a couple of friends that we have joining us of who gets the most picks and, you know, winning a prize at the end. So uh, that's what we have coming up. But even if you don't check us out, then make sure you find us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, wherever you find all those podcasts at. And we have new uh, shows every Tuesday and Friday morning. Go check out JJ Talks. Get your football on. Season's going to be coming up soon before you know it. So make sure you're in the know there. Thanks again, Josh, for coming on. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming along on this journey of top five movies about movies. And if you have a list topic that you've been dying to hear come up on the show, let's do it. Head to force5podcast.com for the show request form. Remember to take a minute and rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow the Force 5 Podcast on Instagram and Twitter so you can tell me which ones we missed. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some movies about movies. Movies.